you turn with me to your study outlines? And as you turn, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. But before we go into our study, we have something that I am so excited about. Did you get in your program this thing about Turnaround Jake, this little postcard here? And for years now, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if our church produced a movie? And I was a little bit jealous of like, there's this church in Georgia, um, a big church like ours, but they produce like Facing the Giants. Anybody see Facing the Giants? How about Fireproof? Any of you see Fireproof? They produce some of those movies. I've got a friend of mine and his church in San Diego produced uh, how, to, how to Save a Life, uh, To Save a Life, which is a great Christian um, movie. And so I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if we could ever do that? Well, lo and behold, three guys at our church did this. Jarrett Lamaster, our young adult worship pastor who's just up here leading worship, also Robbie Wildsey, also Sean Svoboda, and then many others. As soon as I start mentioning names, I'm in trouble because there are so many involved in this project, and it is just absolutely excellent. We're going to have um, a premiere for it a week from Friday night, right in here in our worship center. You look on the back of it, you'll see the information there. Uh, it is a ticketed event, but 100% of the proceeds go to our media ministry here at PFB. You can get tickets today out at the Resource Center, or you can order them online. You'll see the information right there. But this is gonna be such a great time, a red carpet event. Uh, you can dress up, have your picture with the stars. Uh, I'm thinking Kimberly's gonna wear like a swan dress or whatever kind of an Oscars uh, kind of uh, dress there. You know, so we're just going to have a, that's a joke, by the way. But at any rate, uh, we're going to have a great, great time. So I tell you what, I'm going to ask Jared a question about the film. Uh, but before we do that, let's watch the trailer for it. Here we go. You got the biggest deal in the pipeline. What's it going to take for you to realize you're coming up around here? Well, my name is right there. You remind me of myself. Oh, thank you. So dedicated and greedy. The feds aren't going to find a thing, sir. Come on, I'd bet my job on it, people. Fired. The FBI is in my apartment, dude. In my apartment. They froze my bank accounts, man. I don't have access to anything. All right, so what are you going to do? You want to sell a $500 airline ticket to Texas? Good to see you, Jacob. Hey, Dad. I have a very special guest visiting. Really? Emma, this is my son, Jacob. Nice to meet you, Jacob. Emma, right? Yep, Emma Nicole Henry. Why are you the godfather of my ex-girlfriend's daughter? A daughter that I never heard about before, Dad. You didn't want to be here. You definitely didn't want to be with me anymore. Why would you want us? All the wrong reasons. I know you you'll do what's right. This is my new favorite movie. This is my new favorite movie. I'm telling you. Um You'll recognize uh, some stars from movie and television, uh, Michael Madsen, um, also Mark Withers. You may recognize those who, Jen Lilly. You'll recognize some from TV and uh, also from movies that you've seen. But then the real stars, our very own Jared LaMaster is the star of the film. Although, I have to admit, I think Carter Percival from our children's ministry, she I think she it. stole the she stars. She steals the that show. She stole the show uh, from you there. But it is such an 
excellent movie. If you love some of those others that I just mentioned, you will love this. And, and then you can see it's so fun because there's all these people in the church that are the extras. So as you're watching, you're like, oh, there's so-and-so. Oh, there's so-and-so. And then all these, we feature the finer parts of our campus is what we do on this. You've got the gym. You've got the B building. You've got the uh, F building. What, what else is it? Oh, you'll get to see the inside of my house. If you've ever wondered what the inside of my house looks like, it's uh, our dining room. It's our kitchen. Uh, it's different parts of John's bedroom. My oldest right. son who just got married, his if bedroom. You ever need, if you ever want to know why we're doing the Momentum campaign. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Watch this. Watch it, looks, this it looks so much, my house looks so much nicer on yeah, film yeah. with all the lights and everything like that. It looks so much better. You guys are going to say you're just paying him way too much money on that. But anyway, why make a, a, a Christian film? Why did you guys have this on your heart to do this? Well, we really felt like the Lord was calling us to do it. We're, we're all, I mean, I'm, I'm an actor. I've been an actor for a long time and um, these guys are filmmakers and writers, Robbie and, and Sean. And so we really felt like the Lord laid it on our heart to make something that um, would be good for families that would point people to Jesus. Uh, that's our philosophy. We really want to um, create movies and media that point people to Christ and, you know, and not in a cheesy way. I'm sure you guys, uh, maybe uh, not everything that Christians make is cheesy. But, uh, but, a lot of it. But yeah. some of it. I yeah, mean, come exactly. on, let's yeah, be honest, yeah. right? Um, and so we're trying really hard not to be cheesy. Uh, and so, uh, so anyway, we created this movie and the Lord, the Lord blessed us every step of the way. And it was, it was a really wonderful experience. And, uh, basically we, we wanted to make it so that we could, um, make content for you and for your family and for your oikos and for the people that, that you could influence that, um, that maybe are far away from the Lord and, and maybe, um, they need a path. They need a way to get back, and uh, this is a good way to do that. So, a turn around, Jake. So it's yeah. a story of you turning around. You know, and that. Thing. Well, we don't know. I mean, oh, you, you don't I know mean, how it turns out. Like, I don't uh, want to give away the ending. I mean, uh, that's right. You, you stay. Know. You stay decadent till the end. Is that right? Okay. No, not until you know. You're, you're killing me right okay, now. Okay. Okay. Great. All right, so, well, anyway. <laughs> um, uh, absolutely phenomenal. We're really happy about it. We praise God for it. You can see, again, uh, the premiere information. Just love to have this place full with people at the premiere. I know, like I said, it's a ticketed event, but 100% goes uh, to the media. By the way, don't you appreciate our media ministry here? Don't they do just a phenomenal job? And uh, just a a great, great job. And you can order these at the Resource Center or go online. Uh, Pastor Jarrett, you know, just for your information, he filled in for Jay, who you had mentioned is having knee replacement. And so we hope Jay will be back next Sunday. But but, but Jarrett's been filling in for him here at 945. He's also the worship leader at 1111. Tonight at Purpose Church in Claremont at 5 o'clock. And also Flood at 630 on Thursday night. So Pastor Jarrett covers those, well, this week, four services, usually three services. Would you just let him know how much we love and appreciate him. Thank you guys so much. God bless you. Oh, and tickets are in the back today. So if you want to get them, they're back at the Resource Center today. Tickets in the lobby. You can get them today. Okay. Thumbs up. Thank you guys so much. Very, very good. Would you turn with me now to your study outline? And the title of today's study from the story is Queen for a Day. It's the story of Esther. And this is such a great great story. I really encourage you to read chapter 20 in the story because basically it's not like pulling things from different uh, books of the Bible. This week, it's just the nine chapters of the book of Esther. That's what it is. So hopefully you've already read it, or if you don't read it, I haven't read it yet. I hope that I pique your interest enough that you'll read it this next week. And just chapter 20 is the nine chapters of the book of Esther, and be sure to get a chance to read it. Let me set the historical background for it a little bit. We'll put our map up here. Here's a map of the world at the time of Esther and the Persian Empire. There are three groups of three that will be helpful to you 
and understanding this time period. First of all, the exiles went from Israel, exiled to first uh, Assyria and Babylon, and then eventually it became Persia in three waves. There were three groups of them. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Then another group of three is they went back in three groups. And Pastor Brian did such a tremendous job preaching on that last Sunday. And they went back in three waves. At this particular point in the story, 50,000 Jews have gone back to Israel, but the rest of them have just kind of assimilated into Persian life in the Persian Empire at this time. The third group of three is to remember these three great civilizations, Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the Persians. And the Assyrians and Babylonians, that is in what is today the nation of Iraq. Persia that we're studying today was what is today the nation of Iran. So think of the Iraqis with the Assyrians taking, first of all, the northern kingdom into exile. Then think of also the Iraqis, more like southern Iraq. Assyria is more like northern Iraq. Uh, Babylon is more like southern Iraq. They take over in power and they take the southern part of Israel into exile. Now the Persians come and conquer the Babylonians who have earlier conquered the Assyrians and the Persians now are in control and that's what happens in our story today. The main king of the Persians is Xerxes. He has just been defeated by the Greeks in some of the famous battles between the Persians and the Greeks. And he has just come home with his tail between his legs. Maybe that's why he was so sensitive uh, to what happened with Vashti and him, her disobeying him. Maybe that's why... As you read that story, that could be the backdrop to that. He's just come back from his defeats against the Greeks. It's about 470 B.C. right now. And uh, Xerxes, we've got a relief here that archaeologists have discovered. And the archaeologists debate. Some say Xerxes is the one seated on the throne. Some say it's the guy standing behind the throne there, that that's Xerxes. Uh, they debate about that. It made me kind of laugh because it's kind of like old family pictures. Do you ever get out an old family picture and say, is that Aunt Agnes? No. Oh, that's Aunt Gutrud. And you know, you kind of go between the two and you kind of argue about whose family portrait. Well, archaeologists do the same thing. And so we know Xerxes is in the family picture. That's what we know. We don't know exactly which guy he is, but he is in the portrait there that archaeologists have discovered. Now we're going to meet a couple of characters. The first is a dangerous character named Haman who rolls the dice. During the exile, many Jews are living in the capital city of Susa in Persia and in the 127 provinces of Persia. In Susa is a descendant of the Amalekites. Amalekites were a group of people that just hated the Jews. And his name is Haman, and he particularly hates the Jews, particularly a Jew by the name of Mordecai, who's from the tribe of Benjamin. The two tribes that are still, we believe, existing are Judah and Benjamin. Haman convinces Xerxes to decree the extermination of the Jews in all 127 provinces, and whoever kills the Jews can keep their possessions. Now, Satan hates the line of Jesus, and that's why he is trying to destroy God's story by destroying the Jewish people. And this is another example about 500 BC in Satan using Haman to try to stamp out the line of Jesus, stamp out uh, the Jews. Uh, right after Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the story began with God saying, I have a plan. And he says it's going to come through the nation of Israel in 2000 BC with Abraham. And then uh, here uh, he begins to try to stamp out that plan, that line from Abraham that continues in the tribe of Judah and Benjamin in the southern kingdom and through the tribe of Judah, and he tries to stamp it out here through Haman. Now that hatred of the Jews continues to this time. 
Satan continues to hate them. There's a couple of theories on that. One is simply even after the coming of Jesus, he couldn't stop Jesus from coming, even though he tried a last-ditch effort, was Herod killing the babies in Bethlehem. He tried to stop the plan of God before it came to fruition, before uh, Jesus came. So why is he so mad after the fact? Well, a couple of theories. One is he's still just angry about it, and so he hates the Jewish people. And so you see that irrational hatred of them around the world. Another theory is that there's still a future a role for the Jewish people. If you are of that prophetic persuasion that believes that there's still a purpose that God has for the Jewish people in the end times, maybe that's why he continues to stamp them out. Now, this story in Esther with Haman is going to sound very familiar to the story of Hitler uh, from very close to our own time. And I've been studying uh, World War II. I've got these uh, CDs on tape of uh, great courses and classes that I've been listening to in my car on World War II. And it was very interesting. I always thought that Hitler, his main goal was to dominate the world. And this hatred of the Jews was kind of a side show for him. It was kind of a side passion for him. But his main passion was just to conquer the world. But as you study the life of history, Hitler, it is fascinating. His main passion was not even world domination. It was the extermination of the Jews. That was at the heart of everything his, he did. That ill-fated, um, where he went into the Soviet Union and, and into Russia, and he got caught by winter, and his supply lines were too thin, and that's where he got defeated, and that was the beginning of the end for him. That all was because of hatred of the Jews. He just wanted to kill Jews along the way. And so as the German troops would advance towards Moscow in their aftermath, like in countries like Poland, Poland, the SS troops would come and simply kill Jews all along the way. His heart's passion was just kill as many Jews as possible. He succeeded in killing a third of them, about 6 million out of the 18 million Jews that were at that time. At the end of World War II, there were 11 or 12 million Jews, and they've only grown to about 13, 8 million over the last uh, 70 years. They're only 0.2% of the world's population. And yet there is still that irrational hatred of Christians, followers of Christ, and also that irrational hatred of the Jews, even though they have brought about great benefit to humanity. I mean, not just spiritually through Christ, but in other ways as well. Here's a fascinating statistic. Even though the Jewish people are only 0.2% of the world's population, do you know that they have won 22.6% of the Nobel Prizes? They have won almost a fourth of the Nobel Prizes, a hundred, more than a hundred times what they should. Uh, By their size of the population, they should have only won about one or two. But instead, they have won 22.6% of all the Nobel Prizes. And yet, despite that, there's this irrational hatred of Christians and of, of the Jews. Hardly a week goes by that you don't find an example of this in the newspaper. I mean, you just pick up a newspaper just today, just the news today with regard to Christians who are the greatest human rights violation in the world today is the killing of followers of Christ. Millions killed every year. And just today, in, in the headlines today, there's a Sudanese woman that we've been praying for who's pregnant, who's going to be killed simply for being a follower of Jesus. And we just got word that through the prayers of God's people, she's going to be freed. And we just heard that that just came out on the news today. But you go with the Jewish people. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago how there was a survey that was done of the global population. And one-fourth of the world's population 
hates the Jews, even though they're only 0.2%. I mean, there are probably more people within a 30-mile radius of our church than there are Jewish people in all the 6.5 to 7 billion people in the world today. Yet one out of four people on planet Earth said, oh yeah, I know them. I, I hate their guts. I hate them. Uh, then, you know, just uh, last week, they had uh, European elections across Europe, parliamentary elections. And did you know that they're the anti-Semitic political parties, the ones that had as part of their platform, we hate the Jews, they gained parliamentary seats all across Europe just a week ago. That was one of their main platforms, and they gained seats in the European countries simply by one of their platform being, we, we hate the Jews. Just a few days ago, I remember seeing on the news at the Jewish Museum in Brussels, and three people killed by a, a shooter there at that incident. And hardly a week goes by that you don't find some incident of either followers of Christ or the Jewish people uh, being uh, hated in some way. And here we see an example of that from 2,500 years ago as Haman is going to try to exterminate the Jewish race. He casts lots, which is the Hebrew word is pure or purim. That is, he rolls the dice to determine the day to kill the Jews. And the dice comes up on Adar, their month, the 13th, which is our March 10th. The courageous characters God is going to use to fight against this scheme are Esther and Mordecai. Esther, a Jewish girl, is selected as queen after Queen Vashti is deposed for resisting King Xerxes' call to appear. Let's just read some of the story here to whet our appetite. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. It was kind of a combination, the bachelor, American idol, and uh, the Miss America pageant, kind of all rolled into one. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be made for them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king. Surprise, surprise. He says, what a great idea. You know, you fall over or die of not surprise on that one. And he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, the king of Judah. One of those three exiles uh, that we talked about. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. Now, if you've ever adopted children, or if you yourself are adopted... That is part of God's plan and purpose for your life. He's going to work through that as he worked it through an adopted child, Esther, and also the people that adopted him, Mordecai. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. 
Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants, selected from the king's palace, and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Here he says to her, keep it quiet that you're Jewish because that's going to cause trouble for you. And in different places around the world, it's the same thing. Don't tell them you're a Christian. It's going to put your life in jeopardy. Don't tell them that you're Jewish. It's going to get you in trouble. And the same thing is true today that was true back then. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, convinces Esther to appeal to Xerxes to stop the genocide of the Jews. This appeal could end Esther's life. Let's skip down to verse 12 of chapter 4. Esther chapter 4, verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Let's camp on that for just a few minutes. That is true of every person in this room that's a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're a part of God's royal family. You have royal blood, spiritual royal blood coursing through your veins. And you have a purpose for your life. You have come to royal position for such a time as this. You are an incredibly important part of God's master plan for history and for the human race. You are a very essential part of his story. You've come to royal position for such a time as this. And and we're going to share the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. And everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper as long as you know that you're a part of God's family. You say, Glenn, how would I take that step if I'd like to? On the back of your program, you'll see three simple steps the Bible talks about, as simple as A, B, and C. And then a little suggested prayer. And there's nothing magical in the exact wording of that prayer, but if you've, it just kind of summarizes what the Bible says you need to do to have Christ in your heart, to open up your heart, to be a follower of Jesus, and to be a part of God's family, to be a part of his family. And there's a little suggested prayer then. If you've prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today, June 1st, 2014, this could be your day. Who knows but that you've come to church or you're watching and listening online or on the internet later at a later date or podcast. Who knows but that you're hearing it for such a time as this. This is your moment. Uh, This is your point in time when God is saying, I, Jesus says, I want you to come follow me. And then I have a royal plan for your life. 
And, and I know I talk about this a lot. It's a theme of our church. I mean, it's part of our nickname, Purpose Church. Uh, it, it's part of our mission statement, finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. I know we talk about it all the time, but I don't think you can talk about it too much. That is that everything that happens to you this week has eternal consequence. It's no random roll of the dice where you grocery shop this week, uh, which store you go to, when you go to that store, what school you go to, where you work, what family you're a part of, where you live, what your neighborhood is, um, what softball league you're a part of. All of that is orchestrated by God to fulfill his story. Who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. You live during this exact time in history, in this exact place, and everything you do this coming week is pregnant with eternal possibilities. Uh, Everything counts. Everything matters. You know, you've heard me say this many, many times, that I think when we get to heaven, we're going to wish we had taken ourselves more seriously. And, and so many people say, oh, that doesn't sound Christian. We're not supposed to take ourselves seriously. We're supposed to be humble. Yes, we're supposed to be humble, but we're supposed to take ourselves very seriously. Everything you do is important. Everything, oh, you say, oh, Glenn, that's just the, the big names like Billy Graham and all that kind of thing. No, every follower of Christ has royal position, has something essentially important. Every conversation we have, everything we do, every place we go is royal position. And who knows, but that this week you have come to royal positions for such a time as this. Um, Randy Frazee writes, what is your greatest fear and your heaviest burden? Let me just ask you that question right here. What's your biggest fear, like Esther Her biggest fear was going into the king because you'd be executed if he didn't accept you into his presence. But let me ask you that question. What's your biggest fear and what's your heaviest burden? What's the thing you're most worried about this morning? Just like Esther. It was her biggest fear and her biggest burden. How about thinking, maybe, just maybe, this has been given to you for such a time as this. Did you know that that thing you're worried about, that burden, just like Esther, it might very well be the thing that God is giving to you for such a time as this. You may never be in a position where obeying God is a matter of life and death. I hope you never are. The worst thing that could happen to most of us for taking a stand for God is a little bit of ridicule. People may think we're fanatics if we walk in a march for life. Our neighbors may be offended if we hold a backyard Bible school for one week in the summer. Our colleagues at work may call us Bible thumpers if we pull out our compact New Testament and read it in the break room. Other parents may not like it when we go to a school board meeting and politely share our concerns about intelligent design being left out of the science curriculum. You may even think it's crazy to wake up in the middle of the night burdened about a friend at work who's going through a divorce. You have this wild idea that if you could just talk to him and his wife, perhaps you could help them find a way to save their marriage. You're not a marriage counselor but you just can't shake the feeling that you could do something that may make a difference in their relationship. And then the second guessing begins. Maybe you'll just make things worse. It's probably too late. It's probably beyond repair. You really don't know his wife very well. I believe God still speaks to us in a quiet whisper, offering us the blessed privilege of, quote, saving his people 
through wild and crazy acts of loving obedience. Imagine the places we could go and the things we could do to reflect God's love for his children. Imagine what may happen in our families, neighborhoods, cities, nations, and world if we adopt Esther's commitment as our own. I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish.
Thank you, Katie. Thank you, band. I love that song. It's like Esther kicking you in the head kind of song. I like that. Um, so glad that uh, we kept making a mistake in the cue sheet today. And instead of born for this, uh, Samantha kept putting in there, born that way or born this way. Lady Gaga's song. That'll work better at 11.11. But at any rate, um, we, we, uh, we got that right this time. Esther receives, uh, Xerxes receives Esther, who devised a plan to reveal the evil plot of Haman. Let's skip over to the upper right-hand side of your study outline. At a private dinner arranged by Esther, Haman is exposed as the one who seeks to have all the Jews killed on Adar the 13th, and he's executed on the very gallows he had built to kill Mordecai. Xerxes cannot revoke his decree. But he does decree that the Jews can defend themselves on Adar the 13th. The Jews prevail, and they declare Adar the 13th, which would be our March 10th, as the Feast of Purim, the Festival of the Dice. Mordecai is honored by taking Haman's place as an official in the empire, and courageous Esther continues as queen. Now, one final point I want to make um, uh, before we move into sharing the Lord's Supper together. Uh, And that is this verse right here has just become very special to me. It's Proverbs 16, verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now, I I, I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on that verse. I don't know that I've ever heard it preached on. Um, I mean, it makes us a little bit nervous. After all, we don't cast lots anymore as, as followers of Christ. And it sounds suspiciously like gambling, you know, and so we're a little nervous about this verse. I think this is a phenomenal verse that summarizes the decision that every person has to make. Every one of us have to decide, are we a lot is cast into the lap type of person or a every decision is from the Lord kind of person? Let me give you a Uh, help if you're ever on Jeopardy. This is going to come in handy if you're ever on Jeopardy and you win money on this. I expect you to give half of it to the church because this is where you heard this uh, answer. But here's here's the answer. What is, this is the only book, here's the answer. This is the only book in the Bible that never mentions the name of God. This is the only book in the 66 books of the Bible that doesn't mention the name of God, okay? What, what, what would it be? You tell me. Anybody? What would the, what would the answer be? Uh, Esther. No, it's a trick question. What is Esther? Thank you very much. This is Jeopardy. Very good. Aaron Gunzik gets the Sharp Guy Award. What, what is Esther? What is Esther? It's the only book in the Bible that... Uh, that doesn't mention the name of God. And you know what a coincidence is? A coincidence is when God chooses to remain anonymous. That's all a coincidence is. When God chooses to remain anonymous. And every person that comes to the book of Esther, you've got to look at all the so-called coincidences and say, were they simply the lot is cast into the lap? Were they all just roll of the dice coincidences? Or was every decision from the Lord? Was it just a coincidence that um, Vashti uh, has a bad day and decides to not go into the king and so she gets deposed? Was it just a coincidence that Mordecai 
adopted Esther and that Esther was adopted by um, Mordecai? Was it just a coincidence that Esther uh, happens to be at the right time in the right place uh, where she's selected as queen? Is it just an accident that Haman rolls the dice and it comes up almost 11 months into the future, which gives almost a full year for Mordecai and Esther to make their plan and for the Jews to prepare for the genocide. Gave them almost a full year, 11 months is what the dice rolled out. Is it just a coincidence that um, uh, he can't sleep one night, Xerxes, and so he asked for a reading and it's just, it's just a coincidence that the reading they happened to give to him was when Mordecai saved his life. And it's just a coincidence that he says, what's been done for Mordecai? Nothing had been done, so he honors him at that time. Is, is it just a coincidence that all these things happen to save the Jews? Was it just a lot that's cast into the lap? Or was every decision from the Lord? Let me give you just a great modern-day example of, of this decision that we've got to make. National Geographic, a couple months ago, had just a fascinating uh, cover art issue called The New Science of the Brain. And it just, oh my goodness, just described the brain in such an absolutely uh, amazing way. And so this last month were the letters to the editor that came in. And they had two letters back-to-back in this month's uh, edition of National Geographic. Two people that both live in Oregon. So two people both read the same article and they come to exactly opposite conclusions from it. The first is from Glenn Kay, who's from Salem, Oregon. He writes, the advances in understanding the brain are nothing short of astonishing and emancipating. As the late astronomer Carl Sagan once put it, as we learn more and more about the universe, there seems less and less for God to do. So Glenn Kay from Salem, Oregon, reads that article, and he says, isn't it amazing? We're just understanding more and more about our universe, which means there's less and less need for God to explain the things that we can't understand. Now, one of his neighbors, also from Jacksonville, Oregon, also from Oregon, Lynn Bernston, she writes in after reading the same article, Carl Zimmer's report on the brain was remarkable. It confirms for me the existence of a creator designer. The small piece of mouse brain the size of a grain of salt is so complex, so beautifully constructed beyond anything we can even comprehend similar to all of creation. Romans 1.20 declares this very well. For the invisible things of him since the creation of the world are clearly seen, being perceived through the things that are made, even his everlasting power and divinity. In the same way you read the book of Esther, doesn't mention God. Names never mentioned. Is it all random chance? Or is it all the design of God? You read the article in National Geographic on the brain. Is it all just a great roll of the dice? Is, is life just rolling the dice in a series of coincidences? Or is behind the roll of the dice, every decision is from the Lord. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his, what's the word there you tell me? Purpose. Now, one final thing as we flow into the Lord's Supper. Remember how I said that in the story, there are all kinds of hints as to how, in the beginning of the story, as to how the story is going to end. 
And this Feast of Purim is one of the religious festivals. And all the Old Testament feasts point and give us hints to the conclusion of the story, which is in Christ. Paul writes, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So all these hints that we have in the early part of the story, including the Feast of Purim, are all just hints pointing ahead to the real thing, which is Christ. And the Lord's Supper, which is now what we share on a regular basis, looks back to Christ in the same way the Feast of Purim looked ahead to Christ. So every time we take the, pr- the bread, it reminds us of his body given for us on the cross. Every time we take the cup, it reminds us of his blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins on the cross. So with that in mind, let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.